Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, August 13, 2023. Today's message title, Hope in the Midst of Despair, a special message from Pastor Kenneth Jones, a visiting pastor from Redeemer Church in the USA. So you know, I'd uh, imagine, right, I'd imagine that all of us right, have found ourselves at times in our lives, we found ourselves in seasons or in times or in moments of our lives that just seem really bleak, right? And it can have a negative effect on our outlook on life, can it? Right? We, we, we realize that unless something drastic changes or something miraculous happens, we just feel kind of doomed, we might be going some, some, through some financial situation and try as we might, no matter what we do, we just can't seem to dig out from under. And unless something drastically changes, we just feel doomed. We might be going through some health crisis and we've received a diagnosis from a doctor and no matter how much medication we take or how much we try to change our diet, unless something drastically changes or something miraculous happens, we just feel doomed. We may be going through some relational issues with a spouse or a family member or a friend, and no matter how much we try or how much we seek to get help, unless something drastically changes or something miraculous happens, we just feel doomed. Really, right? I guess if you think about it, right, it can be easy and understandable to feel this way about life in general in this world. It can feel like we're just kind of running on a hamster wheel or we're just running the proverbial rat race or any kind of rodent analogy you want to use. Whether it's the political bickering, racial injustice, social media echo chambers, or wars around the world. And you pile all of that on top of the struggles and sufferings that we face in our own lives. And it can be easy for our minds and our hearts to sink into the brokenness of this world, right? To live with despair and no hope. To have it negatively affect our lives. Because unless something drastically changes, or something miraculous happens, we just kind of feel doomed. Aren't you glad that Gunnar asked me to preach today? <laughs> We all today, we're going to take a look at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And what's been happening to this point in the letter is that because of the influence of the world around them and because of what they've experienced in their own lives, the Corinthians were beginning to lose hope and belief in something that's really, really important. And what Paul, in essence, has been saying is that everything he's mentioned throughout this letter that they've been struggling with is a result of them losing hope and belief in this really important thing. 
And so in the midst of all of their struggles and in the midst of all of the turmoil, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been writing in chapter 15 to remind the Corinthians and to remind us that things will drastically change because something miraculous has happened. Jesus has risen from the dead. And that has the power to drastically change our hope for the future and our outlook on life in the present. And so to that end, Paul is first going to show us the root of some of the problems that we have and what must be changed. He's going to show us how the resurrection of Christ has and will miraculously bring about that change. And he's going to show us how that miraculous reality can not only change the reality of our future, but also the outlook of our lives. And so let's jump into the text as the Apostle Paul helps us see that even in the midst of despair in this world, we don't need to live with despair in our lives. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, the perishable inherit the, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so, y'all, to this point in the chapter, right, Paul has been reminding the Corinthians in this chapter about the reality of the resurrection, about the importance of the resurrection, and about the feasibility of the resurrection. And now, Paul's showing the Corinthians the necessity of the resurrection, the necessity of our bodily resurrection. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. And biblically speaking, y'all, a mystery isn't some kind of riddle that needs to be figured out, right? Biblically speaking, a mystery is something that's been concealed, but is now being fully revealed. And that word all is significant in this revelation. Speaking about followers of Jesus, Paul says this, he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now listen, the mystery isn't when Paul says that we shall not all sleep, Meaning that some Christians will be alive when Jesus returns. So they will not experience physical death. This is what he said in a letter he wrote earlier to the church in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so Paul, the mystery that Paul is revealing here is not that some Christians would be alive when Jesus returns. He had already said it to the Thessalonians. The mystery being revealed wasn't that we shall not all sleep. The mystery being revealed was that we shall all be changed. 
We shall all be changed. Even those who are alive when Jesus returns will be changed. Even those Christians who are alive when Jesus returns will receive new resurrected bodies. That was the mystery being revealed to the Corinthians. And if we're honest, you know, that might be a revelation to some of us too, right? Because if we really even actually do think about it, the tendency might be to think that those who are alive when Jesus returns would simply be caught up with Jesus and receive eternal life. But there'd be no need for a new body, right? Paul says, no, no, no. When Jesus returns, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. We shall all be transformed. We shall all receive new bodies. As a matter of fact, Paul says, this must happen. Verse, 30, verse 53 for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul said, not only is it a beautiful truth that we will all receive new bodies, it's a necessary truth that we will all receive new bodies. Even those Christians who are alive when Jesus returns must, must, must receive a new body. So why would that be? Well, it's because of what Paul says in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul's saying, listen, these bodies of ours here on earth aren't fit for the riches of heaven. And any of us who is like 30 years old or older knows and can attest to the fact that these bodies of ours are subject to decay. They break down. They go, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, my back hurts right now. They grow weary, right? They're susceptible to disease. They're prone to decay. And they're prone to sin. There's just something about our fallen bodies, right? These bodies of ours that are prone to be disobedient toward God. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find that a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Can anyone relate to the tension that Paul's describing here? Right? He loves God. He loves the word of God. He wants to be obedient to the law of God. But even when he wants to do good, this body of his is prone to decay and prone to sin uncontrollably at times. 
cannot help but sin. Cannot help but act out. Cannot help but selfishly seek its own acclaim. Again, can any of us relate to that? And isn't this an example and a part of why we feel like we're just kind of running a rat race or we're just running on the hamster wheel of life? Because no matter what we do, no matter what we try, we keep falling for the same tricks. We keep falling for the same lies. We keep falling for the same sins. And it wears us down and beats us up to the point that we just want to give up. So this, Paul says, is why we must be changed. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But y'all, despite our proclivities, despite our brokenness, despite our propensity to sin, God had made a promise. And God is faithful. Centuries and centuries and centuries earlier, God had made a promise of eternal life for his called out chosen people. Looking forward into eternity, he said in Daniel chapter 12, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble since has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And he says through the prophet Isaiah, your dead shall rise, their bodies shall rise, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Paul saying, listen, church, you know it, and I know it. These bodies we have ain't fit for heaven. We're prone to decay, and so we're not fit for eternity with God. And we're prone to sin, so we're not fit for the holiness of God. But despite all of that, God has made a promise that he will bring salvation to his people and come hell or high water, God makes good on his promises. Whether alive or dead, when Jesus returns, if you are in Christ, we must be changed. Because we must be saved. Because God has made a promise. You know, there is no uncertainty in Paul's words here about what will happen when Christ returns. He says the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must, this, imp this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must, must, must put on immortality. As a church, when this happens, right, when our mortal bodies put on immortality, it sets in motion the fulfillment of an incredible promise, the moment we've all been waiting for. 
The culmination of this miraculous event that drastically changes everything. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the powerful force of change that began with the resurrection of Jesus and will be completed with the return of Jesus. And if you're new to Christianity or you're just kind of checking out this Christianity thing, this is the gospel. This is the foundation of what we believe. That Jesus, God in the flesh, has died to pay for our sins. He's risen from the dead to give us eternal life, and he's coming back again to usher us into eternal life with him. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 25.8, which says he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the culmination, the culmination of a long-awaited prophecy, a promise from God that was declared centuries and centuries and centuries ago. That he would one day right every wrong. That he would heal our brokenness. That he would purify our sin. That he would wipe every tear from our eyes. That he would give us new glorified bodies. That he would conquer our greatest enemy. And y'all, I love the triumphal nature of these verses. I love the triumphal nature of these verses. Paul says, y'all, death is swallowed up in victory. It's swallowed up in victory. It gives the image, y'all, of Jesus drinking up every last drop of the cup of wrath that God has reserved for sinners in a sinful world. He swallows death up in victory. Because listen to what Paul says in verse 56. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Follow that. And so working backwards in this sentence, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying Jesus came and took on the flesh of man and lived a life fully obedient to the law, which nullifies the power of sin and qualifies him to go to a bloody Roman cross and die to pay the penalty of sin because the wages of sin is death. And so track with me, family, because through his perfect life, Jesus adequately nullified the power of sin. And through his sacrificial death, Jesus adequately paid the penalty for sin. He could not be held down by the sting of death, which is sin. 
So he rose from the grave and swallowed up death in victory. And in light of all of that, Paul says this in verse 57. Thanks be to God. And y'all, these next few words are so powerful. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, when Jesus returns, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will rise and put on imperishable bodies, and we will not be able to die again. Because Jesus has swallowed up death and given us victory. Then I looked and saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Y'all, for my money, those are the best words of that entire passage. Church, do you believe that these words are trustworthy and true? You see, much like the Corinthians, y'all, because of the world around us and the things that we experience, y'all, if we're honest, We effectively live life as though we don't already know how the story ends. Paul's saying the reason, right, the reason that you feel like you're just kind of running on a hamster wheel or you're just running a rat race, the reason you feel caught up in this rat race is because you've forgotten your good end and lost sight of the real race. It's why we strive to impress others, trying to make a name for ourselves on the pages of history forgetting that our names are already written in the book of life. It's why we play favorites and try to position ourselves around the right people, forgetting, y'all, that we've already been given a seat at the feet of Jesus. It's why we fight and clamor for the riches of this world, forgetting that we already have the riches of heaven. Church, could it be that the reason we feel like we're running on a hamster wheel and why we get so frustrated and flustered and impatient pressing in on our timeline is because we've lost sight and forgotten about God's timeline. We try to run harder, climb higher, achieve more, trying to beat the clock of death because we forget that Jesus has already swallowed up death 
and given us the victory. Verse 58. Therefore, he says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying you don't need to get caught up in the rat race. Lift your head and run your father's race. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember the end of this story. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This mortal body will put on immortality. Sin will be crushed. Death will be defeated. Jesus has won the victory of eternity, and it ought to have an effect on how we live in the present. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it my main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. You see, all this debunks that saying, right, that you hear a lot, or I've heard a lot on occasion, it goes like this. You're too heavenly focused to be any earthly good. You heard people say that before? And the notion is that if you think all you do is think about heaven all the time, then you won't do anything good here on earth. On the contrary, Paul says, we must be heavenly focused if we're to truly do good on this earth. In fact, it's what the Bible consistently teaches us. In 2 Peter 3.11, right, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, Peter says, since all things are thus to be dissolved, because the end is coming, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? We mentioned the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier and how it relates to our bodily resurrection, but here's the fullness of the passage. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul's saying, church, in the midst of this life, in the midst of the turmoil, encourage each other with these words. Remember the reality of the resurrection. Remember the reality and the assurance of the victory we have in Christ. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Never forget the storyline of all of chapter 15. You were created in the image of God, which gives you infinite worth and infinite value. Yes, you have sinned. You have missed the mark. You have felt the fallout of that sin, and you were destined, destined for the penalty of sin, which is death. But church, Jesus really did die for you. 
He really did die for you. In love, God the Son really did take on flesh and come to this earth to walk in your footsteps, to be your representative. He really did bear the weight of the penalty of your sin. He really did die for you. And he really rose from the dead for you. Which is significant because it shows that his sacrifice is sufficient for you. Your debt has been paid and you stand righteous before a holy God. Who else's approval do you need? No more shame. No more striving. No more condemnation. Church, listen, Jesus says, you are free. Free to listen to me? Trust me, to follow me, to obey me, to love me, while you marvel at how much I love you. You don't have to succumb to the messages of this world, the desires of this world, the rat race of this world. Because I, your Lord, have overcome this world. Paul says, oh, dear brothers and sisters, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and the victory he's given you. Be steadfast, be immovable. Don't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Join in imitating me, Paul would say, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, when Jesus returns, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will rise and put on imperishable bodies, and we will not be able to die again. Because Jesus has swallowed up death and given us victory. Then I looked and saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. 
Y'all, for my money, those are the best words of that entire passage. Church, do you believe that these words are trustworthy and true? You see, much like the Corinthians, y'all, because of the world around us and the things that we experience, y'all, if we're honest, we effectively live life as though we don't already know how the story ends. Paul's saying the reason, right, the reason that you feel like you're just kind of running on a hamster wheel or you're just running a rat race, the reason you feel caught up in this rat race is because you've forgotten your good end and lost sight of the real race. It's why we strive to impress others, trying to make a name for ourselves on the pages of history, forgetting that our names are already written in the book of life. It's why we play favorites and try to position ourselves around the right people, forgetting, y'all, that we've already been given a seat at the feet of Jesus. It's why we fight and clamor for the riches of this world, forgetting that we already have the riches of heaven. Church, could it be that the reason we feel like we're running on a hamster wheel and why we get so frustrated and flustered and impatient, pressing in on our timeline, is because we've lost sight and forgotten about God's timeline. We try to run harder, Climb higher, achieve more, trying to beat the clock of death. Because we forget that Jesus has already swallowed up death and given us the victory. Verse 58. Therefore, he says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying you don't need to get caught up in the rat race. Lift your head and run your father's race. Keep your eyes on the prize. Remember the end of this story. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This mortal body will put on immortality. Sin will be crushed. Death will be defeated. Jesus has won the victory of eternity, and it ought to have an effect on how we live in the present. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it my main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. You see, all this debunks that saying, right, that you hear a lot, or I've heard a lot on occasion, it goes like this. You're too heavenly focused to be any earthly good. You heard people say that before? And the notion is that if you think all you do is think about heaven all the time, then you won't do anything good here on earth. On the contrary, Paul says, we must be heavenly focused if we're to truly do good on this earth. In fact, it's what the Bible consistently teaches us. In 2 Peter 3.11, right, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, 
Peter says, since all things are thus to be dissolved, because the end is coming, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? We mentioned the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier and how it relates to our bodily resurrection, but here's the fullness of the passage. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul's saying, church, in the midst of this life, in the midst of the turmoil, encourage each other with these words. Remember the reality of the resurrection. Remember the reality and the assurance of the victory we have in Christ. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Never forget the storyline of all of chapter 15. You were created in the image of God, which gives you infinite worth and infinite value. Yes, you have sinned. You have missed the mark. You have felt the fallout of that sin, and you were destined, destined for the penalty of sin, which is death. But church, Jesus really did die for you. He really did die for you. In love, God the Son really did take on flesh and come to this earth to walk in your footsteps, to be your representative. He really did bear the weight of the penalty of your sin. He really did die for you. And he really rose from the dead for you. Which is significant because it shows that his sacrifice is sufficient for you. Your debt has been paid and you stand righteous before a holy God. Who else's approval do you need? No more shame. No more striving. No more condemnation. Church, listen, Jesus says, you are free. Free to listen to me? Trust me, to follow me, to obey me, to love me, while you marvel at how much I love you. You don't have to succumb to the messages of this world, the desires of this world, the rat race of this world. Because I, your Lord, have overcome this world. Paul says, oh, dear brothers and sisters, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and the victory he's given you. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Join in imitating me, Paul would say, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. But what we inevitably come to realize is that this world is irrevocably broken. Our sin consistently persists, and we cannot outrun death. We grow grow tired and weary, and it feels like our labor is in vain. But Jesus says, take heart. I am the God of all creation. I will mend this world. I have died for your sins, and I have risen from the tomb and conquered death. And if you do not know Jesus, he stands before you today saying this. Will you humble yourself? Will you confess your brokenness? Will you confess your neediness? Will you accept my life, believing that I've conquered death? Will you decide to place your faith in this Jesus today? And for those of us here who are Christians, who call on the name of Jesus, Jesus is reminding us through his word and calling us to believe afresh today that he's made a promise to us, that he's conquered death for us, and he's living his life through us. That no matter what it feels like, and no matter what it looks like, In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so every time, listen, every time you read scripture to a child in the name of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Every time you set up a chair or set up the audio here on Sunday morning in the name of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Every time you display Christ or share the gospel of Christ, your labor is not in vain. Every time you serve and meet a need in the name of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Every time you go to work, help a student, solve a government problem, frame out a bathroom in the name of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. Because it's all part of bringing his kingdom that will reign forever into this earth. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, be steadfast, be immovable, knowing that Jesus says this in Revelation 22, verse 12, and this is so awesome. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, and I am bringing my recompense. I am bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Family, in the midst of the despair of this world, take heart, be encouraged, 
Have hope. Jesus sees you. Jesus hears you. Jesus loves you. And he's coming soon. And he's bringing your reward. Church, may we be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.